0: Let's open in prayer, and we'll get started. Lord, I do thank you so much uh, for this day that you've given us, the week that you've given us since the last time we were here. Um, Thank you for the times that we leaned on your strength to handle things correctly, and thank you for your patience in the times that we didn't, and we know that's part of why we're here. Lord, we are here to fellowship, we are here to, to grow closer to each other, but we're here to learn. Lord, it's especially Sunday school. Lord, we are here to hear from you, to fill in gaps that either exist or or shouldn't exist, but do, Lord, things that maybe we've forgotten that we know, whatever it might be. Lord, we know your word is living and powerful, Lord, and it's uh, on us to make sure that we take advantage of that power. Uh, so I thank you, Lord, you know the requests of our heart, you know what each of us are going through, but again, Lord, that shouldn't distract us from spending time with you, it should draw us closer to you, and knowing that you are the only one that can get us through uh, what life throws at us, and and that really it can't throw anything at us that you don't allow. So I just pray that you be with each heart now, Lord, that we can focus, that we can concentrate, that we can hear from you, and, and see what it is that you're trying to tell us, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so... Technically we're in 1 Corinthians, I have to word it that way. We're going to take a little bit of a break from it over the next couple weeks, I hear. Um, But being the teacher that I am, you better believe I'm going to stop for a second and pop quiz some of you. I'm taking the first three answers, and yes, there will be awkward silence until I get three answers, so don't test me on it. Um, If you've been here, I mean, I think most of us, most of you have been here longer than I have because I transitioned with the youth into here at the new year. Um, One thought. I don't know, we're, we're, I believe, four chapters into 1 Corinthians of something, and there's no wrong answer. You're speaking from your heart, but I think we all know what it's like to have a great Sunday school, a great sermon, a great something on Sunday, and then by Tuesday, you can't quite remember what was so great about it. That, that's why we need things like community group. That's why we need things to keep reminding us um, what God has been laying on our hearts. So that's kind of the foundation of what I'm going to be doing up here, but I get to do it for the next 40 minutes. I'll give each of you about 40 seconds. Uh, anything, anything, as you reflect back on what we've been, what Mike's been discussing, what we've been learning in 1 Corinthians, is there any thought slash title slash theme uh, that you believe God's been speaking to your heart? Sir? Unity. Okay, beautiful. And you could leave it at that if you want, or you can give a little clarity. Um.
1: Well, because there seem to be divisions over who
0: they follow within the church. Amen. Big problem of the Corinthian church is that some said that they followed Paul, some said they followed Apollos, and Paul said, yeah, but why aren't we all following Jesus? So, amen, a lesson that we can learn from that as a church to make sure that our focus is on Christ. That's one. We need two more. Jesus Christ crucified. Amen. Once again, that the focus be on Christ, on, on the message that we are to tell people, to not get led off, you know, down, down rabbit trails or anything. We see that warning many places in Scripture. And one more, before I tell you mine. Sorry? And to not go beyond what is written. Amen. No matter what the best of your intentions are, what you think the Bible should say, or however you want to word it, Uh, I'll say pales in comparison, but that phrase pales in comparison, uh, to what Scripture actually says. That's all that matters. Amen. So for me, in the short time that I've been in this class, I will say that what God... He always speaks this the most to me. I'll explain it why uh, in a second. But it's 1 Corinthians 4, 7. It says, For who considers you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Now I'm talking in general terms here. Um, Not that verse specific to what it says, but the idea that Paul was calling the Corinthians out for fooling themselves. For thinking of themselves as being something that they weren't, for thinking that they had achieved something that they hadn't. If you want to say that the, the Corinthians were a bunch of frauds, I guess we can talk about that later. I would just say that for the most part they were a body of believers that had allowed themselves to fool themselves. Alright, if this was a sermon the title would probably be, Are You Fooling Yourself? Okay, and that that concerns me um, personally because I feel like there's two types of people in this world. There's the gullible people who will fall for anything, and the Bible definitely warns against that. And then there's the lawyers like me who can look at any situation and see it five different ways and naturally pick the one way that is most to your benefit um i don't mean to do it but i know i do it even in a more mature christian state i am susceptible to well you know what this probably says and everyone else is like wow i never saw it that way and meanwhile i'm like well that's what i wanted to say so point is if we're going to stop for a second and just kind of reflect back on the warnings that uh that paul gave to the corinthian church for fooling themselves why don't we make sure that we take a moment as individuals and as a body to make sure that we are not fooling ourselves. That what we believe to be true is true, and I don't so much mean doctrine as how we practically live out our lives. So God laid three areas, three topics uh, that we potentially could fool ourselves that I think all relate to the Corinthian church, every single one of them. Um, But we're going to look at three different churches that got the same warning. Okay, And then that way, if we know that Paul warned the Corinthian church about it, but then this church was also warned, and this church was also warned, I'm pretty sure we can tack BBC at the bottom of that list of another church that needs to make sure that they are not fooling themselves in this area and takes the warning to heart. So all three churches are from the seven in Revelation. I chose the three that spoke the most to my heart. So if you want to turn to Revelation 2 and 3, we're actually starting in three. We're not doing them Uh, in the order that John listed them. Um, But I believe all three of these churches were given a warning that correlates with the warning that the Corinthian church was getting. And that if God has us in Corinthians listening to those warnings, why not hear them uh, given to another church as well? So the first church, I don't know if you know the seven churches um, in Revelation, it's Ephesus, Myrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I know we've done studies on those churches before. Um, Today is not a study on those churches as much as the three that fall into what I want to talk about today. But the one we're going to start at is Sardis. So that's at the beginning of chapter three. I kind of didn't want to tell you that because then you can look at the heading and know what it's about. But just out of curiosity, does anyone remember anything about the church at Sardis? And no, you don't need to impress me. I'm not going to have awkward silence. I'm just curious. Anybody remember anything about Sardis? All right. well the reason I'm starting at Sardis is because they were the church that said that they had a reputation for being alive, but that they were dead. Okay, if we look at Revelation 3, verses 1 through 7, it says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, and yet you are dead. Be constantly alert and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Then if you are not alert, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy." The one who overcomes will be clothed the same way, in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I start there, because I'm not sure there is a more bottom basement to start in than to be a church who has a name for being alive, and yet is actually dead. We hear dead, we think not saved, and yet if they're not saved, then they wouldn't be referred to as a church. And they also wouldn't say that there are some among you who have not soiled their garments. So we have to take this, uh, as many churches we could say in America today, is yes, it's a church, it's, 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 it's a body of believers, but not all believers. That it has been infiltrated with a lot of unsaved people. I'm not going to pretend to know what was going on here in Sardis, but I think we all know why dead churches would have a reputation for being alive. Those thoughts technically shouldn't go together. You're either alive or you're dead. How could you have a reputation for being alive when meanwhile you're dead? Well, because again, and however this translates to a couple millennia ago, because they had their rock star concerts for worship services and they stayed away from preaching about hell because that upsets people. And I don't know if that's exactly what happened there, but I know that the warning to the church of Sardis was at least somewhat of a warning of, you're so worried about looking good to the world, and meanwhile you're not doing anything uh, that I want. So the first area that I do believe, that hopefully we don't need, but that we need to at least consider, is are you fooling yourself on your salvation? They all start with S. Are you fooling yourself on your salvation? Are you someone that comes to church every Sunday, And feels good about coming to church on every Sunday. And when push comes to shove, you are in a body of believers. I very much better believe the BBC is a body of believers. But that does not mean that everybody in the body is a believer. We have to make sure that we stop and consider that. And this isn't like Matthew 7, you know, where he says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name that was more talking about individuals off doing their that might relate to your heart but but I'm not referring to you looking at your life and saying did I do this 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 it's you're a part of this church and since you're a part of this church you kind of take your salvation for granted and we know that's something that you cannot do okay that that if you just have a wrong association first of all can I say that if you have a wrong association or understanding of salvation, I want to say that's on you. Okay? Because there are plenty of people out there, you know why they have a wrong understanding of salvation? Because they were taught a wrong understanding of salvation. Because they're in a church, uh, Maurice, right? That's his name, right? Um, You know, there's somebody new to the church who was shared, that he had to leave the church he was at, because he was pretty much told, look, you're a good person, don't worry about it, you're in. That's not you. All right, I'm going to say the same thing I say, that I say to my math kids. Mike Math comes in, yeah, I stink at math. Yeah, well, you never had me. All right, let me explain it to you. Now, that sounds cocky. I don't care. But the point is, if you had a bad understanding of salvation, if you don't know what it takes to be a child of God, that, don't say it's because of what you were taught here. Because I promise you what you've been taught here comes straight out of the word of God. So I want to say it's on you, but I still have to say it's somewhat on me, and Mike, and Pastor, and Len, and the deacons, Because very interestingly, I don't know how I, I don't think I'd ever heard this before. I apologize if someone had said it and I didn't hear it. But when you look at Revelation 3, all of the churches, all of the churches, they all start with, you know, to the messenger of the church and wherever, or the angel to the church of whatever. And we tend to believe that that's talking to the pastor, the head. And when it says things like, I know your deeds, that you have a name with, that you are alive, and that you are dead, I never knew that all of those you's are singular. We automatically assume that he's talking to a group of believers, and he is. In in extension, he is. But it really spoke to my heart. That's why I don't think it's referring to an actual angel. It wouldn't make any sense. To tell an actual angel that the Lord says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, and yet you are dead? All singular. Hmm. And I believe they're all singular, not because he's saying that the pastor of that church specifically is the... He, he, he is the one that's going to be held responsible. We know that. Just like the man is held responsible for the decisions of the family and... the. The, the head of the church is going to be responsible for the health of the church. He is the shepherd of the sheep. So as much as I want to say, listen, you should know what salvation is. We've been t- I got to point the finger right back at me that every single one of these churches, it, it makes me think of Nehemiah or Daniel or so many godly men who still turned around and said, Lord, forgive us of our sin. And you're like, what do you mean your sin? You're like awesome. Yeah, but it didn't matter. You know, if they were in a leadership position, they were ahead. I cannot take any of your salvation for granted. I can assume it. I want to assume it. By the fruit that I see in your life, by the fact that you got up early to come to Sunday school. I would like to think that that means that you do have the proper relationship with God, that your salvation is secure, that you understand what it truly means. And of course, I lean on God's sovereign election. I'm not going to sit up here worried that, oh no, what if this person says they are and they aren't? In the big picture, that's between you and God. But it really spoke to my heart when I saw that that was a singular it's called in the genitive case singular, possessive, that I, with the honor of being a leader in this church, M I'm not responsible for your salvation, but you're all smart enough to know what I mean. I'm responsible to not take that for granted. To not just throw the word out there and just assume that you're grabbing it and you're picking it up. No. At least for the moment, I think I can say this in love. If I'm a shepherd and you're a sheep, I've got to act like a shepherd and you might act like a sheep. We can't take it for granted. So please, if, the, if that's something that we need to discuss, if you need to come up to any one of the leaders, even though, again, same thing in math class. I don't care if I've been saying this for three weeks. If you still don't get it, please ask I don't care if I've been saying this for 21 years if you still don't get it please ask we cannot take our salvation for granted okay so having said that as you're all now in Revelation 3 I'm not going to wait too long but I'm hoping some of you can just look at Revelation 3 and tell me what are some of the warnings what are some of the oh suggestions isn't the right word They're, they're commands but they're what are we told to do I don't think we're Sardis. I don't think we're a church who is alive and yet is actually dead. I just don't ever want to become it. So if we don't ever want to become it, shouldn't we learn from the lesson of what was preached to the leader and the church of Sardis? So I'll give you a hint. It's verse 2. But, go ahead. I'd like a little... uh... Wake up. Okay, yeah. Wake up. Mine says be constantly alert. But I know versions say wake up. Now, Could that mean wake up to salvation? Yeah, certainly. Certainly. If you are destined to be a child of God, the day is going to come where you are going to wake up. No one is going to leave this earth, and God says, oh man, if you had one more day, you would have been mine. No. You're going to wake up. But why wait? Why kick against the goads, as Paul would say? Wake up. Be constantly alert. I like wake up, but I also like be constantly alert. Because there's a difference between waking up and being alert. I think of Habakkuk, how he says, I'm going to stand in the highest tower and just watch so that I can see what God has to say to me. And think about how I'm going to respond when, I, when I'm corrected. Are we being alert? As individuals, as a church. What does that even mean to be alert? Well, maybe I should let you answer that. Sure, I, I
1: think this, just by what that sounds like, again, is that our minds have to constantly be engaged like, I can't let my mind, break. you know, you've heard that phrase saying that the Christianity is a thinking belief system. And we love Him with all of our minds, but our mind has to constantly always be engaged. We don't want to ever have an empty mind, or that's when things go over and I remind myself all the time is to be mindful of what he has said, even when I'm... I'm just, the normal, especially during you a normal day-by-day thing, so I'm going to work in my second of the job, I'm around a very bad environment, whatever the case may be, I have to be mindful of everything that he has shown me. What I'm to do, I'm, I'm a light for him wherever I'm at, you know.
0: So Mike's Italian, a lot of you didn't see it, he was talking with his hands, he kept going like this, right? And that's right. The very first place that you have to be alert is here. You have to make sure that you're not drifting. You have to make sure that you're in the word. But as we extend, and so that, that's definitely family feud, answer number one. <laughs> but you better believe answer number two of being alert is what? Can anybody follow my train of thought here? DJ? The first place my
1: mind went was pray without ceasing. It was a constant prayer and taking every thought captive.
0: Amen. And that's still family feud number one. It's got to start in you. But can I say we also need to be alert to what's going on around us within this body. We need to be having conversations with each other. We need to be making sure not just that I know the truth of scripture, but that my brother or sister who comes to church with me every Sunday knows scripture. I thank God that I never had to grow up in a quote-unquote dead church. I've never participated in one that just goes through the motions. But I do have to wonder how they got there. I refuse to believe that every single one of those churches started that way. I'm sorry. I refuse to believe that every one of them got... You know, let's start a church that never actually teaches anything but looks good. It doesn't make any sense. And yet somehow they get there. So yes, would it be nice if every single one of us... If every single one of us made sure that every single one of us were alert and... To be honest, we wouldn't need to look out for each other. But we need to look out for each other. For the love of each other as well as for the love of this body. Something can't grow into a wildfire if we nip it when it's a spark. Agreed? So we have to make sure, and this is going to segue me into my second point, but we have got to make sure that we know what's going on in this body. That we don't just trust that the elders know everything. We lean on you guys. You guys have conversations that we're not a part of. You guys have devotions that we're not sitting next to you when you have them. You guys listen to, I don't know, sermons that maybe I've never heard before. I don't know, but we have to. If we want to not fool ourselves, I don't mean about our individual salvation, but more so about the corporate, well, of course we're a body of believers. Man, I hope that's true. But man, we're surrounded by examples in scripture and in life of churches that maybe were like that once, but aren't now. Sean, I think you, you, you kind of said it right there.
1: Part uh, fooling yourself. I I would almost see this as mm-hmm. saying stop fooling yourself And obviously, you know, look at the things that that is still existing, still in your church, work within it because it says strengthen the things that remain. Right. It act-
0: talks about you know that already we died. Right. So they're not dead yet. That's huge. Yeah. That is the next segue here. It's be alert. Watch. And, and it, it actually does say, um, sorry, strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. I, I don't think any of your versions say are about to die. It should say were about to die. I don't want to make the biggest deal of that. But in other words, it's not warning about something that might happen in the future. It's warning about something that's already started. Yes, Ms. Pat.
1: My um, I be a he says, I know the words you have of the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, and strengthen what remains, and is not to die. Mm-hmm. For I have not found your words complete in the sight of God. Remember then, what you received and heard, keep it, and repeat, and repent. If you will not awake, if you are not awake, if you are not up, wake up, I will come like a thief.
0: Amen. So if the first thing was wake up or be alert, the second thing is to strengthen that which remains, that which has begun to die. Okay, now we know that means spiritually, that things have already started to fall. Um, For sake of time, I'm actually going to go down the more physical route because that's how it spoke to me. I think one of the reasons that churches tend to fall is because they have these strong Christian leaders that are not going to be here forever. And those leaders do die, physically die. You know, God gave us Rob Burnett for a season. He gave us Bill Bonsignor for a season. Some of you don't even know who those names are. Well, guess what? You don't have to know who they are. You need to know that they helped form the church that you are enjoying right now. And we need to strengthen the things that remain. Those of us that are still here, that still want the things of God in a world and even a country and a society that more and more is going to say, you can't teach that. You can't believe that. You can't say that out loud. We need to strengthen each other. Not just watch out for each other, but strengthen what remains. Again, I'm taking it a little bit out of context, but not, I don't think in a, in a wrong way. I'm not saying that, that this church is, is dying spiritually. I'm just saying that we need to make sure that we are always replenishing who God has here for a season. I think of 2 Timothy 2, where it says, That which you have heard and seen and received in me, teach to faithful men who will teach it to others also. There needs to be that passing of the torch. That's what's going to stop us from becoming a Church, A dead church, a church that fools itself into believing that it's saved as, a, as, a, as an overall entity, that everything's fine, we've got 5,000 people coming, this is so awesome. And meanwhile, God's up in heaven saying, yeah, that might be your reputation, but you're dead. Or at least you're dying. right?" And it does say that if you don't do that, you, you will be dead. So again, for sake of time, the, the warning to the Sardis church, be constantly alert, strengthen what remains... And then remember what you have seen and heard. If we continue to do that, again, I'm sorry. I'm not going to believe that there is any church out there that's 100% safe. I just, why? 100% is absolute. There's going to be people that still need to have their eyes open. That still are, But we should be striving for it. We shouldn't be taking it for granted. We shouldn't be fooling ourselves like I believe the Corinthian church was. We're fine. Everything's good. We get it. You know, it's all about Jesus. Let's keep moving. No, we need to take this serious. We need to take the warning that we not fool ourselves in regards to our salvation. All right. Secondly, they'll all start with S. So the second thing that I definitely believe the Corinthians fooled themselves on, and I want to make sure we don't fool ourselves on, is in the area of our sanctification. We know what sanctification is. I sure hope it has to come after salvation. Your sanctification is that you've been set apart. I mean, I get it. There's different levels. But practically speaking, that you're set apart and that you're striving to grow in your faith, that can't happen if you're not even saved. So if you're sitting here saying, John, thank you for the warning, but I know. I know that I know, First John. I know that I know that I am a child of God. Then let's just make sure that we're not fooling ourselves in the area of sanctification, which we all know the Ephesian church did. So if you want to turn back to the, uh, Revelation 2. The beginning of Revelation 2 is the warning to Ephesus. Okay, again, we are very familiar with this, but it's written for a reason. If you want to tell me, John, this is nice, but I've been thinking about this all week, well then thank you. Wonderful that God already laid on your heart the warning about sanctification. But if you can say, yeah, you know, I haven't thought about this in a while, then you know why God has you here this morning. To the angel of the church in Ephesus right. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Once again, all the yours are singular. So he really is calling out the leaders, but calling out the entire body. I know your deeds and your labor and perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil people, and that you have put those who call themselves apostles to the test, and they are not, and you have found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured on account of my name, and have not become weary. You always have to stop there. I'm sorry, even if it's just for a dramatic pause, you have to stop there to acknowledge this is not the Sardis church. This is not, you have a good reputation, but actually you're not doing anything. God goes out of his way to say, listen guys, I get it. You're doing this, this is not Matthew 7. Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we? Do? I never knew you. No. This is, look guys, I know. I know you've labored. You've persevered. You don't tolerate evil people. You you called. You put those who call themselves apostles to the test and find out they're not. You found them to be false. In other words, you were watching. You were alert. You were paying attention. You were doing what I warned the Sardis Church to do. I would love for BBC to be defined by Revelation 2, verses 2 and 3. Just not for, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And then he goes on to encourage him again. You have this, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I'm sorry, I don't think Scripture says anything flippantly. If Scripture is going to go so out of its way to let us know so many things that the Ephesian church was doing well, that they deserve to be commended for, and yet, if we made a pros and cons list, The Ephesian pro is way, way longer than the Ephesian con, and God doesn't care. Apparently, he doesn't care. Because even with all of those pros and the one con being, but you've left your first love, that's all it takes for him to say, repent of that, or I'm going to remove your lampstand. Meaning, you will not be a light for me. And we know that's happened to all the churches of Revelation. None of them are are shining beacons uh, for God since I don't even know when it went out. But that's the second warning that we as BBC need to take. Hopefully we don't need the warning of, of salvation. Hopefully we are all <laughs> again I don't even know how to word it because either, either you are God's child or you're not but hopefully you are and aware that you are and know why that you are and are sitting under sound biblical teaching to understand why you can have that confidence. But then we got to turn it up a notch. Have we left our first love? Again, usually when I hear people preach on this, it, it emphasizes the first more. Because Christ was our first love. Um, I'm going to emphasize just the love more. Right? Not so much who are we doing it for, but why are we doing it? Let's be honest. It does become, it's very easy to become autopilot. You know, I like that phrase. To become repetitive. To become an obligation. Pastor preached this not that long ago. You know, is what you read in the Word of God a burden or a benefit? You know, do you open God's Word and say, oh, there's one more thing I'm doing wrong. All right, Lord, I guess I'll work on that this week. Or is it, hey, wait, there's one more thing I'm doing wrong. Oh, Lord, I guess I'll work on that this week. It's the same thing, and yet it's completely different. Is it a love that we have for Him, for His Word, for those that He puts around us? Why? Not are we doing it, that would be Sardis. Are you even doing it? But now, why? Why are you doing it? Why are you sitting here today? Is it because, well, because this is what I do on Sunday. I'm so glad this is what you do on Sunday. But can we set the bar a little higher? All right, there's a lot of things I do because, you know, (laughs) I had eggs this morning. Why? Because that's what I do in the morning. Like, don't, don't let this just be because it's what I do. Let's take some time and think if sanctification is our growth process, are we really going to grow if we start just... Again, if you were lifting weights or if you were uh, dieting or something, it's called plateau, right? You hit a plateau where you just don't really see any results anymore because your body's just kind of gotten used to the exercises or used to the diet. you you got to, like, change things up. you gotta, you got to remind yourself why you were doing it in the first place. Are we plateauing? So just a few thoughts I wrote down, uh, but I'll ask you. What could keep us, or what could cause us, sorry... Cause us to leave our first love. No wrong answers. Just wondering what's speaking to your heart.
1: Idols. Just just, uh, Do your job. If you
0: have a family. A hobby. Perfect. So for those of you who didn't hear what John said. He said idols. And I'm just going to twist that word a little bit. If he doesn't mind. And I'm going to call them distractions. And yet. They're distractions because they're idols. His, his word isn't wrong. Idols just seems to have that connotation of purposely, I'm putting this before God. And I think so often we don't even realize we're doing it. Right. We don't mean to. I would never say my job, my family, my blank is more important than God. No way! But am I stopping and analyzing my life and making sure that even though you're teaching Sunday school and you're doing this and you're... Yeah, but are those just things I'm doing? <laughs> Are those things that can make me feel better about myself because everything else gets all of my time? We were talking about this in community group. You know, I don't want to act like, you know, like I don't have all the Lord, it's only you. Only you. No, I've got a million things going on in my life. Well, guess what? It's still only him. Like, it's not one or the other. It's him above all of those things. And I think we all can benefit from spending some time and just self-analyzing. Is he getting the love That we've always wanted to give him. And maybe once we did. And now it's just kind of. Again I don't want to say grown cold. Because I don't get that from Ephesus. They're, They're doing. They're doing. They're doing. And Jesus is there saying. Yeah but what about me? I would never want him. To say that to us. So one thing I wrote down. And I think Mike kind of already. Talked about this. You know. You can start to drift. Drift doesn't mean you stop coming to church. That's definitely a very. Blatant way of drifting. But you can even just drift from not spending as much time in his word. Right? Uh, Darlene. I guess she's with the little ones. But she she mentioned this morning how uh, she was trying to witness to her brother. And her brother's like, man, you know so much. And she said she had to stop and think about it. Because she so feels like she doesn't. But relatively speaking, God has really taught her a lot in the time that she's been in this body. And she praised God for it. But... Once you start feeling like you know a lot, let's be honest, doesn't it kind of open the door to, all right, well, maybe I don't need to, you know, I'm, I'm kind of good. I mean, I know I'm not great, but like we, we want to nip that in the bud. We don't want to start to drift. I wrote down John seventeen seventeen. sanctify, right, sanctification, them in the truth. Your word is truth. So again, not salvation. I'm not saying if you're not reading your Bible every day, you're not saved. But I'm going to challenge you to ask yourself, if you're not in your Bible every day, DJ said praying every day, if these things aren't a regular part of your day, do you have any reason to think that you are growing in sanctification? And you can answer that, you know, to yourself. You don't have to say it to me. But but what are you leaning on? Not for your salvation. (laughs) But for your sanctification, for your growth, for your... I'm, I'm, I'm more conformed to the image of His Son today than I was a year ago. I don't know how that would happen outside of being in His Word, praying, being sensitive to the Spirit. Well, I joined this ministry and I did this and I did this and I did this and I... Okay, but I'm pretty sure that's what the Ephesians could have said. We're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. And Jesus said, oh yeah, you are. Oh, that's so great, but... What about me? So I'm just going gonna, gonna to leave that there. I wrote down drifted and I wrote down leaning on your own understanding. Right? After a while. You know what scripture says, but you've kind of convinced yourself that... So what it means is, because this just makes our life a little easier. But 2 Peter 3.18 says that we should always grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever feel. Because that's what the Corinthians did. They felt like they knew it. Right? That's why Paul said. Why do you act like you didn't receive this? As if you earned this on your own. As if you think that this is something you figured out. No. The spirit revealed it to you. The spirit wants to continue to reveal it to you. So. I don't think that. That Jesus was. Chewing out the. Ephesians. I don't think he was being sarcastic with them. I I think that he was genuinely saying, "Guys, I know you're trying, but can you just kind of take a step back and remember why you're trying? Can can you just make sure that I am at the center of what you're doing?" The Corinthians needed that message, and we do as well, sir. Sir, just
1: thinking of uh, what we call "to leave a first love again." Convenience, Mm -hmm. or or or, first one saying whatever. Like like, it's inconvenient serving the Lord to my flesh it is mm-hmm. and I think uh, just just as someone who teaches and needs to study at, at, at anything but, uh, or someone that got has put a conviction in my heart I believe in the, you know trying to as a family do it and do it all that as as we could. it's very it's but it is an inconvenient because, and, because it's I, much more convenient for me to just do whatever it is not talking about anything simple mm-hmm. okay? just something whatever to because I want to do this way much more appealing to my flesh. But that's, not, that's losing my first love. Right. You know, and I think it's, this is not my life. You know, it's the life that he has granted to me. that's supposed to be a living sacrifice to
0: him. And again, that's the danger of seeing it as a burden instead of a benefit. I mean, we all need to stop and realize that God is not going to ask us to do anything, no matter what sacrifice it looks like. It is a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice for our benefit. He's never going to say, your life would be better if you did this, but you know something? <laughs> it's not about you, it's about me, go do this. No, he gets the most glory when we are in his will, and we benefit most when we are in his will. Gabe? I think, I think from a practical sense, you know, just knowing the people that are in this room, something that we could actually find ourselves in, uh, is the work of ministry could also be this: to falling away. You know, let's say i an usher. And I, I'm so bent on doing a great job ushering, you know, I, I'm prideful, you know, I want to be at the door today, or, or I want to make sure that people aren't talking to the servant, and you start getting an animosity between your brothers and sisters. I want them to be quiet. You need to sit here when I tell you, you know, the, the work of service can become, that can become your love versus the
1: God of the work.
0: Amen. And I'm sorry for the smirk on my face, but that so segues into the third point that it scares me. But I know that's what God God does. I get it. But oh my goodness, if you didn't hear what Gabe said, yeah, we get so caught up in ministry. And so I'm going to break your thought into two so that I can end part two and start part three. We can get so caught up in ministry that it becomes about the ministry and it becomes about what we do and we feel good about it because we and we kind of forget who we're doing it for. But then what Gabe correctly said is, And since we're doing it and others aren't, well, I mean, obviously, we're at a level that they're not. You don't mean it. I don't think you consciously, (laughs) can't believe you're not an usher. Like, I don't think we would actually say that. And you can take usher out and put something else. Can't believe you don't help out on Friday nights. Can't believe you don't go to community group. Can't believe you don't whatever. You don't mean it. But it's human nature. Right? And I think that was the third thing that the Corinthian church struggled with, because that's why Paul said, again, in the, it was in the New American Standard, was the version that I wrote down. I, For who considers you as superior? So that's my third S. Right, Don't fool yourself into just assuming you're saved. Make sure you know that, that you are a child of God. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're being sanctified because now you're an usher, or now you're an elder, or now you're whatever, or now you're... But don't fool yourself into thinking you're superior. And, and it's funny because like now the coin flips. You know, you think you're saved, but you're not. You think you're being sanctified, but you're not. For us, it's probably, you don't consciously say you're superior, but if you really stop for a second and you realize, yeah, some of those seeds have, have planted in my heart. I've seen myself comparing myself to others because it feels better when I see that I'm doing something that they are not. Right? We've got to be careful of that. That is the thir- maybe not the third thing that Paul was warning them about, but the third thing I took from Paul's warning, and that makes me go to the church at Laodicea. Alright? We'll wrap up with the church at Laodicea. We'll just read it, you know, somewhat quickly. But they were definitely a church that was warned against a feeling of superiority. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation of God, says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to apply to your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. They all ended that way, but I chose to emphasize it now as we wrap up. To the churches, not to Laodicea. Not to dead churches. He says it to us. We have to be careful. And again, I don't think we would ever Think we have an air of superiority. I use that word because it starts with the letter S. But oh my goodness, we can say, yeah, I'm good. Right? Bills are being taken care of, this, that, health, whatever. Yeah, I'm good. And praise God we're good, but then that should be giving him the glory. It shouldn't be turning around and saying, I have no need of anything. You could argue these people weren't rich, miserable, poor, blind, and naked from an earthly point of view, from a practical what you see around you, they weren't. But from God's perspective, again, I said at the beginning that the base bottom is being a dead church. I I have to stick to that. But even the base bottom, God had something good to say about them. He said, but there are still a few among you who have not soiled their garments. He has nothing good to say about Laodicea. There's not one positive comment here other than those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. What was their error? Their error was forgetting how much they need their God. I don't think they did it on purpose. I'm sorry. I refuse to believe. I think this would have been a much different warning if the Laodiceans were preaching, and because we're rich, we don't need God. I think there would have been a very different message to them, and think, I don't think there would have been any message to them, because I don't think they would have been a church. But this was a body of believers, again, as close to America as it's going to get, who could say, yeah, but I already got this. I already got this. I'm good. I'm good. I'll I'll go to church. You know, I'll, I'll do my thing. Right? He still says, I know your deeds, but he says they're not cold or hot. And I'm sure, I hope you've all heard before. Cold and hot are both good. It wasn't hot's good and cold's bad. Hot refines, burns out impurities, cold refreshes, right? God's saying, what you're doing just serves no purpose. It's the definition of spinning your wheels. You're showing up, you're going to church, you're feeling good about yourself. You know, okay, let's go home, let's have lunch. God's saying, I I, want to vomit that out. It it, it serves no purpose. And he has to be talking about his children because what else would you expect from people who aren't really saved? So that's the third warning that I'm going to leave us with. I think time lined up pretty nicely. Thank you, Lord. But if I can rearrange them in family feud order, Let's make sure we're not Ephesus. I think that's probably the one that would speak to where we are the most right now. We are striving to honor him, but let's make sure we keep our focus on him. After that, let's make sure we're not Laodicea. The, you know, it is nice just coming to church every Sunday, showing up to Wednesday night when we can, doing this. But really, those are just things that, you know, they're just a part of the bigger picture, which is making money and doing this and doing that. And then I hope, lastly, as Sardis, oh Lord, as long as I'm on this earth, I pray that we never have to get up here and truly talk about the danger of becoming the church at Sardis, of becoming a church that is this close to being dead. Let's just strengthen the things that remain now and stay healthy and stay the, the body that God created us to be. And then we won't have to worry that we have become the Corinthian church or the Laodicean church or the Ephesian church or the Sardis church. We can just learn from them as we're supposed to do. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. This is what you laid on my heart. Uh, you decided that I would be sitting here. Lord, I did not know this seven days ago. You did. And so I I have to trust that it's what you wanted me to share because uh, it's where you had my heart go straight to. Um, I thank you for the honor of being a leader at this church. I thank you for every Person that you've brought here, Lord, and um, you know that we know that we are very limited, Lord, in our own strength. Uh, you did not put us in these positions because of who we are, but because of what you can do through us when we are humble and sensitive and learning from your word. So, Lord, I will continue to fully believe that each one of these churches were churches, that they were your children with unsaved people scattered in but that the message was for your people that your people need to wake up that your people need to repent that your people need to get back to their first love uh, it's just it's screamed throughout Scripture Lord and we thank you when you add to your people um, but I'll just corporately say sorry when we think this message is for someone else when this message is for for the world when when they consider the message of the cross foolishness. Lord, this message is for those of us who have ears to hear. So, Lord, I, I really hope that our first 10 minutes was unnecessary, that, that, that there's no one here taking their salvation for granted. Lord, I pray that every one of these people that I love so much and that I see every week really do know you, really are going to spend eternity with me in heaven, and, and that you'll open their eyes if not, Lord. Uh, but sanctification, I know we all... Uh, can continually raise the bar or just strive for more selfishly or it is for our benefit i know it is and as we individually grow in sanctification of course we will as a body and then lord we know that knowledge puffs up so as we grow in sanctification i pray that not have the negative effect of superiority of any type of idea that we're more than someone else lord we're only what you've graced us to be your spirit gives us the power. He gives us the sensitivity and the, the discernment Lord, to live lives that honor you. And for those that don't quite get that yet, Lord, you tell us to come alongside the weaker brother, to, to be there, to be an example, Lord, especially to this next generation. I pray that as much as they can turn to your word for examples of godly living, I pray that they just see it around them, Lord, and in the older generation of us who who know your goodness and know your grace and want to honor you with everything we do. Uh, So I thank you for this time. I pray for whatever you've laid on Pastor's heart, Lord, that we will be open and sensitive and hear your spirit through it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.